have her chapter 13 read during weddings. Right? Like, uh, love is patient, love is kind, right? Well, we're going into that. However, if you know me already, and I usually flip your world around a little bit, right? So remember this. What is it? What's the overall trajectory, overall theme of the Corinthians? What was their biggest problem? It was to get ahead, right? They're business professionals. There's business working professionals. They wanted to get ahead. Now, in, during that time of first century in Corinth, spirituality was like getting a CPA or PA, right? It was an addition to your resume to get ahead. Now, we might not treat spirituality like that today, so therefore, just let's just treat the spirituality as synonymous with a CPA or a PA or whatever you want to do, right? The more stuff I could add in my resume, the better I could get ahead. And what happened, right? And so in that light of that whole theme, right, we have these chapters, these very popular chapters. And some of the chapters are like divorce, right? The Lord's Supper. But then if you read it in light of that whole theme, now you know why they want a divorce. Now you know why the, you cannot take the Lord's Supper uh, uh, wrongly because of that theme, right? You see where I'm getting at? It was that whole entire theme. So that also includes chapter 13 and 14. Yes, chapter 13 is a very popular wedding chapter. But how do we read it in light of the entire theme of the entire letter? How do we do that? Okay. So before we continue our series, let's just rewind a little bit and review chapters 8 all the way to 12. Okay. So chapters 8 and 10 are read together. So let's do a summary. Chapter 8 and 10, central point is this. Jesus is Lord, King, and of course, God of this entire world, and therefore, he requires our worship. Now, worship does not necessarily mean here, right? It does not mean singing, does not mean, uh, all, it does not necessarily just mean singing, does not just necessarily mean praying or coming together. No, because he's God, worship also includes words like loyalty, obedience, and allegiance, submission which means it's a daily thing. Worship is life. You're a Christian, your life is worship. Your work is worship. Your play is worship. Your purchases are worship. Your mowing the lawn is, unfortunately, it's worship. You know, everything in your life that you do, whatever you decide, whatever you say, should be glorifying to God. Okay? Yes. Give that a moment. Let it sink in. Everything that you do, even your personal thoughts. We have to gauge it with, is that glorifying to God? Chapter nine, central point, is this. Obeying Jesus, yes, it could be sucky. It could disqualify you from the very things you need. Spouse, employment, career. Obeying Jesus, as like worship, could disqualify you from these things. But Paul says, do not get disqualified from the ultimate prize, which is eternal life and an eternal relationship with God in the end. It is worth getting disqualified from these current things that we may need to get to the end, to get the ultimate prize. The last thing you want is to be disqualified that, from that ultimate prize, the glorious body that we will receive. As Philippians said, when I was preaching that chapter. Now, what's chapter 11's central point? 
chapter 11, central point was this. What in the world is freedom in Christ? Remember that question? What is freedom in Christ? Does it mean to do whatever we want? Not necessarily. So what does it mean? It means that we have freedom to do good and to love others, even when society thinks it's impossible. All right? It's impossible to love those type of people. But for Christians, it is possible. All things are possible with God. And this is the passage what that passage refers to. That's what Paul was saying, is that in Christ, it is possible to love those who we don't seem to find hard to love. For example, you know some, right? Especially those who do not return the favor, right? When you love somebody, and then suddenly nothing comes back to you. You earn nothing in return. You keep on loving, 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 and you earn nothing. But even worse, you earn criticism, right? Wash somebody's feet, what happens? You get kicked in the face. Well, what happens if you get kicked in the face many, many times? Well, in Christ, we can keep doing it. That's what Paul is saying. And this is the chapter where the Lord's table was, wasn't it? And then what was, it? What was the problem with the Corinthians again? All the wealthy and the rich people were sitting around the table. That's how they worship. They worship around a meal. Who were getting excluded? The poor and the stinky people, right? And so Paul says, you know that freedom that you're supposed to exercise? You have freedom to invite the poor in to the table. You don't have to fear your life. You don't have to fear that they might hurt you or they might be too stinky, right? You have freedom to love them. It is like almost like a, when I was having a conversation with Diane Sugar at the uh, Chimo Community Center, Chimo Community Services. She was trying to educate her grandchildren when they were walking out outside of Dairy Queen. There was a panhandler at the, uh, sitting there. She said, she, he smelled. And then, then the kids walked by and they go, Grandma, why is that person like uh, sitting there not, you know, look, asking for money? Like, is he going to hurt us? And then Diane goes, and she goes, you know, deep side inside of her head, she knows that type of people, she knows what they can do. Right? capable of. She's heard the news of people getting hurt when they give money to panhandlers. But she actually said, gave money to her grandchildren. They, they actually went and gave money to the panhandler. Why? Because in Christ, there's no fear of death to do it. Society says, oh, you better let other people do it. But, but Christ, Jesus says, you can do it. Don't worry about it. All right, next central point. Now, this was Pastor Fritz's last week's sermon. Chapter 12, central point was this. Spiritual gifts are talents and maybe super talents, like uh, those that may be uh, extraordinary, like tongues, prophecy. It's talents and super talents fueled, directed, and quickened by the Holy Spirit to glorify God and reveal God's glory. Okay? Spiritual gifts, let me say this again. Spiritual gifts are talents, super talents, fueled, quickened, and directed by the Holy Spirit to glorify God and reveal God's glory. All right? Okay. Now let's I'll move on to chapter 13, and guess what we have? A video.
yourself for me? I love you. An act of true love will thaw a frozen heart. Love will thaw a frozen heart. Alright, enough of that. Alright, let's go. Let's move on. Sorry. You probably have the DVD somewhere lying in the deep chasms of your basement now. Alright. Chapter 12, so this chapter, chapter 13 and 14, where does it actually start? It actually starts in the last verse of chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to chapter 12, verse 31, so that you can follow along or do some highlights. Paul says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. That's the start of the chapter. And yet I will show you the most excellent way. Oh, okay, so wait a minute. We've gone through a lot already from chapters 1 to 12, right? Why would he say excellent? Obvious. The, the Corinthians, like us, what do business professionals and career professionals really want? Excellence, right? They want excellence. They might not be excellent, but they definitely pursue excellence, hopefully, right? We want to be an excellent leader. We want to be an excellent worker. We want to be an excellent whatever, coworker, colleague, manager, excellent, right? So think about it. It's no surprise that Paul is right now starting this love chapter with, and now I will start and give you this excellent way. It's our goal, that's their goal. They wanna be excellent, that's why they wanna build up their resumes, right? You follow? We're nearing the end. And so Paul is just trying to summarize everything. So Paul provides us with this most excellent way in chapter 13 then. Chapter 13 is about the excellent way, about how what it is, and in chapter 14, Paul goes and says and explains how does this excellent play out using church worship as an example, okay? Follow? And that's where we're going right now. So, what is the excellent way? Well, like, we're going to the love chapter, so it's the way of love, you follow? First, love is what Paul says, well, it, okay, it is love, but Paul says love is definitely not flashy. Why do I say that? Here's what Paul says, chapter 13, verse one to three. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Okay, Brian, thankfully, but like Brian's not here, but he, Brian and Carmen led a song that was, literally just took this out and put it under the song, 
Resounding gong, right? Clang, cymbals, moving mountains. And man, look at how much I sacrificed. I'm so humble, right? You get it? It was a joke. I'm so humble, right? Those are pretty flashy stuff, right? Really flashy. Yet Paul says, even if these things look good in the outset, none of this stuff, if none of this stuff is motivated by love, they're nothing. So what is his love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. What is love? Okay, forget it. You know the song. Whoever is in like my age group knows. <laughs> what is love? All right. I know this, this trip really did a lot to me. Too many Mai Tais, I think. Now we come to the most popular passage for weddings, right? What is love? First of all, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Ooh, where there is knowledge, it will pass away. All right, basically, what are you saying? Love is not flashy, right? Patient? Have you ever seen a ambitious career professional patient? Being a manager, all right, I've been a manager, I manage people, I, I was also a director. They're not patient. They really want it. They want to grab it by the bullhorns and run with it, right? Because they want to be the it. So they're, they're very self-seeking. So patient, yeah. Why be patient? I'm like, no one will notice me. We remember the old phrase, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease, right? Right? So that's not being patient. Patient. Love is kind. Are you kidding me? It's a doggy dog world out there, right? I gotta eat somebody <laughs> for breakfast, lunch, or even just wipe the floor with them, right? So, and it, Paul says, no, love is kind. It does not envy. But I want that person's job, right? I, I like, the grass is greener on the other side. I want that. It makes me, I want to have fun. I want to enjoy myself. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor. Okay, all this stuff is not flashy at all. Love, so first rule, love is not flashy. The Corinthians strive to be spiritually mature, right? They thought that if they could get flashy, it's markers. And like, look, like, I'm very flashy. Like, uh, I have very spiritual, so I could get ahead. I want to be this spiritually mature person. So the more spiritual I am, the more flashy I am, I get the stamp of approval. So what was their motivation then? It's just really for themselves. Self-seeking. You follow? It's self-seeking. So if social status was their motivation, they want to get ahead, then it is no surprise that they actually wanted flashy gifts, right? What did Paul say? Tongues, right? Prophecies and knowledge. They wanted those things, those flashy things. Those are the flashiest spiritual gifts you could think of, right? Like who doesn't want to be told, oh, like, uh, like um, who doesn't want to like Vivian to say, like, um, oh, Vivian, you know so many Bible verses. You must have took a, like, a wanna all your life. Right? And uh, you, you memorize all these verses and you got all these stickers in your wall and everything. Awesome, right? Or man, you could speak Klingon. I can't believe you could speak Klingon, man. Like you could speak Hobbit as well. I don't understand a single word you're saying, but you sound spiritual. You get it? You sound so spiritual. 
Or how about this? You know the whole benevolence thing, the charity giving now these days? Uh, look at me, I have to do it on the sponsors, right? <laughs> Who doesn't want to get recognized as part of the givers of a project, right? Look at Jim Pattison. Practically every single hospital is owned by him, right? <laughs> because Pattison Hall, Pattison Cancer Foundation. If he sees this video, I'll probably get into trouble. But anyway, Pattison, Pattison, right? It, like donors want to get acknowledged. I remember um, just recently I was uh, invited to a gala by Success. Again, I, this recording will probably get me into trouble. Like Success, do you know how much that plate costs per person? $800 a plate. 500 of it goes directly to the, to the foundation. And then guess what happens? I've been to one. So I sit there in the way at the back because I'm one of the El Cheapo, I guess, uh, with the, uh, tables. And then, and then I see these uh, guys just battling it out. Oh, I'm going to give $10,000 to this picture that I don't understand. And then, the, then, then he challenges another guy and say, are you going to give double? And that guy goes, steps on and goes, yeah, I'm going to give 20 grand. Think about it. Right? Yes, it's a for a good cause, right? We cannot deny that. It's for a good cause. It's a, like the money's going to go to, for success as a foundation, it goes directly to the elderly. It helps the elderly. But if it's not for love, yet it's only for yourself, Paul says here, it's nothing. It's nothing. You see, these things, the giving, the prophecies, the tongues, they're just merely tools to an ultimate end of something bigger than just these tools. And uh, I remember a mentor once said, it's like a knife. Knives can kill people, but at the same time, knives can actually cut bread and share, to share the bread with others. So these tools, just, we should treat these as just merely tools. See, the Corinthians also thought achieving the gifts of prophecy, tongues, or charity is a done deal, right? They think, oh, like, I, got, I got tongues, okay, I'm done. I'm saved. I'm officially it. I've ascended. Nothing else. Do nothing else. They would say, well, that's not the case. Having spiritual gifts is not for having a seal of approval, like a certificate of completion for a course, like a CPA or PNG or something. No, Paul says that these gifts are merely tools to help with our Christian journey towards realizing the full life that we have in Jesus. Paul says here, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 9 to 10, For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I taught like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, though, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For we, now, we, for we now see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. See, Paul says, you do not need your tools after you build something, right? You do not need your tools after you build something. Paul says that prophecy, tongues, charity, and all other spiritual gifts are merely tools to help us realize our completeness in Jesus. Once completeness arrives, i.e. when we're called home to the heaven or when Jesus returns, all these tools are no longer needed. So what are the childish ways that Paul is saying? The childish ways are this. I want it, I want it, I want it. I want it. I want it. How come you don't give it to me? I want it. Lucas, right? I want it. Right? Like, my daughter does the same. I want it. I, how can you say no? I want to enjoy my life now. Right? Why are they saying that? It's because they see that that thing is their ultimate end. That's it. 
my daughter would say, no, that's it. That's what I want, right? But they don't see anything ahead. So then uh, we see that in adults too. Maybe we may not, well, actually, I don't know. Maybe you do see adults pant, like, you know, stomping and pouting and everything. But we see that too as managers. I'm sure you could nod, right? That we see like uh, workers come to us and say, you know, they save more. You know, diplomatically, but really they will actually go, no, I want it now. I want my promotion now. I want my wage increase now, or else I leave. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? They don't see, you do not see these mere tools like salary and stuff. These are just tools, Paul says, to the end, to the completeness that's coming. Like children, the Corinthians saw their spiritual gifts as the end. I want my tongues, I want, <laughs> I want my tongues, I want my prophecies, I want it, I want, I want knowledge, I want it. Why? Because they see it as the ultimate end. They also see it as a mere tools to the completeness that's coming. These things will disappear, Paul says. Fall. All right, so you do not need to your tools when you, when you build something, when, you, when it's done. Paul says that prophecy, tongues, charity, and all the spiritual gifts are just merely tools for completeness. Once completeness comes, you don't need them. So Paul continues in chapter 14 then. Let's move on then. So that's what childish means. Childish means that you see whatever you want as just a mere end. And that you're impatient in getting it. And it's self-seeking. I want it. It's for my enjoyment now. Right? I can do it now. I have freedom now. Give it. Right? That's what it is. Because they see it as the ultimate end. Verse, okay, so chapter 14, verse 10. Let's move on then. After when we explored the childish ways. 14, verse 5, 4 to 5, 12, and 26. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Try to excel in those that build up the church. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. Okay, so Paul continues in chapter 14 and gives one definite command and general rule of thumb. He repeats it often, so which means, take it seriously, right? It's very important. So what does it mean? Okay, so let's take a look. Edify the church. Oh, church may be edified. Oh, here's another one. Build up the church. The church may be built up. All the same word. It is oikotomai, right? That is to build up the church. Okay, so why would he say that? Well, what does build up or edifying mean? Well, for starters, the building up and edifying can only be done through love. He mentions this in the previous chapter and also in chapter 8. Chapter 8 says, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Follow? So love builds. So how do you build the church? Through love. So that whatever we do in church, i.e. expressing our spiritual gifts, whether it be leading worship, teaching, preaching, prophesying, speaking in tongues, healing, serving on elder board, children ministry, ushering. We got to focus on love, loving each other. And through that love, we build up the church. Okay. And using our tools, i.e. the spiritual gifts, they are to be energized and guided by our love for one another to build up the church, not just for spiritual gifts sake. Okay, so that's what chapter 14, and now let's move on. In verse two to four, for anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the spirit, but the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Why would exercising gifts 
without considering the buildup of a church a concern. Here's an example. Um, I used to go to a church that predominantly is Cantonese speaking, right? And so uh, early on, before the English service ever came to be, I would go to a Chinese service with my parents. And sometimes it's just predominantly spoke in Cantonese. And my first language is not Cantonese. My first language is English. My second language is French. And the third language, apparently, down the line, is actually Cantonese. So if you think about it, when I hear the sermon preached in Cantonese, for those of you who have no lick of a Cantonese in you, it doesn't make sense to me at all, right? And apparently they laugh at a joke. I'm like going, right? But what are you laughing about? This sounds like chicken, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, what are you laughing about? Or, you know, it's a, and then, it amazing, and then when people come back to me and they go, it was an amazing sermon, did you like it? I'm like, I had no clue what they were talking about, right? Does that edify people then? And then suddenly they brought in the English translation, which is great, but then of course things get lost in translation. And I'm sure that like all of you have experienced that too, right? The English translation is subpar and the things just don't really make sense after that. So again, not building up the church. You could have the best sermon, preaching it in Cantonese, yet if it's not out of love for the congregation of the diversity in the audience, then it doesn't build up the church. That's why we see uh, like Bethany Baptist, remember when we were there? They have many translations because they know the audience in their church. That's because they love them. They did it out of love. You could have the best sermon. You maybe have the spiritual gift of prophecy and prophesy through that sermon, yet without any love or consideration in the congregation, it's worthless, built up. So the definition of tongues, let's go into that a little bit. The definition of tongues, when he said it, can be defined in two ways. One, it could be actual languages, like Cantonese, Mandarin, English, Punjab, or Hindi. And second, it could be utterances of the spiritual language from the Holy Spirit. In this case, Paul could be referring to both. All right? And so since the Corinthians probably wrote to Paul asking which gift is the greatest since they really want to know which one is going to be the best and showiest, think about which one that they would actually choose, tongues or prophecy? Tongues, because that's very showy, right? Paul told them neither takes precedence though if none of them are practiced in love. So however, since they are young and immature, Paul suggests that prophecy should take precedent over tongues. Since the Corinthians, it appears, didn't have anyone to interpret. It, they didn't have anyone to interpret either actual languages or utterances of the Spirit. So let's go on. What is prophecy then that Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to do mostly? Well, let's move on. 14 verse 24 to 25. But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all. As the secrets of their hearts are laid bare, so they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So what is prophecy? Prophecy is speaking forth the truth of the gospel, and in doing so, convicting people of sin and laying bare the secrets of people's hearts, so that they repent. That's prophecy. Prophecy is supposed to convict. So if I stand here at this pulpit and I speak out of the word of the scripture, and if an unbeliever comes in 
Conviction does not necessarily mean they feel bad about themselves, right? Conviction means that they feel that God is chasing after them. God is in pursuit of their life. God wants them back to him. You follow? Recall, remember the, in chapter 11 when I preached, when, the, when somebody came over uh, at First Baptist Church, and it was a street worker, she came over, and then uh, the communion was, uh, was being uh, presented and served. Well, what are, what, what are the words of communion anyway? Right? This is my body, broken for you. This is my blood, shed for you. For you. That's quite convicting. That's quite convicting to a non-believer. What? Somebody is willing to die for me? Somebody did? And now I have new life available for me? See, we, I don't know about you, but I was brought up in a world where conviction is like guilty. Right? A guilty feeling. I'll give you a guilt trip. But no, the gospel is supposed to give life. Conviction is actually to turn somebody around and say, I want that back. I want to be in God's family. That's how good it is. That's the conviction. All right? So that's prophecy. Now, spiritual gifts then, it's, it serves twofold then, Paul says. One is to build up the people of God, the church, which he says uh, prophecy would. But the other is also for your personal devotion to deepen your relationship with God. And therefore, he says, don't discount tongues. I'm not saying to write off the gift of, gift of tongues, but gift of tongues, the utterances of the Spirit, is actually for your personal use, to deepen your relationship with God. Now, some of you may have gift of song. Maybe some of you like to sing. Maybe some of you like to read your devotions, right? Gifted in that. That is a way to deepen your relationship with God personally. So, he says this. Why would then tongues be such a big deal for the Corinthians? Like, why do they want tongues? Why does tongues make it such a showy thing? We move on. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 21 to 22. In the law, it is written with other tongues, and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people, but even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. Hmm. Curious. What does that mean? Well, it's a rhetorical question that could the Corinthians ask, what's the best gift? They immediately would go to tongues. I want the gift of tongues. Why? Because in that context, historically, a lot of religions in that day, they identified tongues as the most spiritual. If you have tongues and you could utter spiritual languages, trances, etc., you are qualified as a very spiritual person. And that is why Paul says tongues is for unbelievers. It's a sign for unbelievers. That's not a sign that you should have, Christians. That's not a sign that you should have to identify yourself as a Christian because it'll just basically be among the other religions. No one can tell you from apart from the other ones. That's what he's saying. But if you could speak forth prophecy in the name of the Lord Jesus and, perform, and then speak forth the gospel, that will differentiate you from the other religions. You follow? Okay? All right. Now comes the toughest part in this chapter. Let's read this. Chapter 14, verse 33 to 40. And this passage gets misused quite often. So let's try to explore this in light of what we just read, in light of what we explored. 14, verse 33 to 40. 33. 
For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. Highlight that. Highlight that first. All right. Women should remain silent in the churches. What? They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. Or did the word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit, let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. And therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So he does not forbid speaking in tongues. He just encourages prophecy. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Highlight that part. Some of you, and like maybe did this, who read the book, N.T. Wright book, he gave a really good commentary on this. And so I'm not going to you know, regurgitate it. But what I'll do here is to offer my opinion. Notice the first line and the last line. What do we have here? A sandwich, right? A little chiasm there. We have like order and order. Don't get this, don't have anything out of disorder, but keep the peace. Last first, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So there is a theme here. Order, right? Not chaos, all right? Remember the first Corinthians. Remember the Corinthians at the Lord's table in chapter 11. What happened during that time? They were bickering, right? And who was bickering? The wives, the women. Now why? I actually used an example of Carmen and Henry and myself and Rosanna, right? Because back then, women were just what? High-priced value commodities, hot commodities for men. And what men would do is that they would use their wives to fight off other men in competition. So let's say Henry and I, right? He's not here right now. Henry and I were competing for an elder's job, which rarely happens today. <laughs> Why would anyone want to be an elder? And like, so the, an elder's job, okay? Well, I'm competing against Henry and I would say, and then you know, I would dress my wife to the nines he would dress his, his wife to the nines, like French manicure and everything, right? And compete. Because we say, the better looking my wife is, the better looking I am, the more spiritual I am. And also, what do we have here in the love chapter? Knowledge, right? Remember that? Knowledge. So we would be competing against who's wisest, who knows the Bible the best. So I would stand up and say something, but guess what Henry would do? He would use Carmen to question me. What? You're wrong. Shut up. Sit down. It's time for Henry to talk. My husband knows more than you. You follow? They're competing, bickering, and going at it at each other. That's what was going on at the table, at the Lord's table during their worship service. So that's why Paul is saying, in order to keep things orderly, when your wife has an inquiry, and that inquiry means a debate to bash another guy's head, right? To put down a guy. Keep it at home. Don't do it at church. Don't do your political maneuvering at church. Leave it at home. You follow? That's why he says, if your wives have inquiries, take it home. Don't do it here, right? We don't want people to compete against who's more spiritual than the other and compete for leadership positions using wives as their tool. You follow? Wives were their cheerleaders. 
No, we're supposed to edify the church, build up the church, not build up pride and boastful people. Sort of like parliament today, right? Ever seen a parliament debate? You know, when these two houses, these two sections, one guy speaks and then the other, the opposition just keep knocking on the table going and trying to disturb. Actually, what's the best one? Taiwan. Taiwan is the best one. Taiwan, they rumble. They throw like ashtrays at each other. I still remember. It's like, it's, it's brutal. And like, be careful of Joyce. You never know, an ashtray might fly right at you. Okay, so, <laughs> hey, so really, it's like a, this debate, these, uh, these debates in this mess. It was this chaos. And Paul just says, you know what? I'm going to lay the hammer. Here's the solution. And as we read letters, remember that. Always remember the trajectory and the theme. The theme was spiritual competition. They were competing against each other. And that's how we read it in this light. So to conclude, love in the Bible, as we know, is a sacrificial kind. Hence, that's why I showed that Frozen movie. Right? She goes, you sacrifice a lot, your, yourself for me? And then Anna goes, I love you. Right? Well, love is a sacrificial kind. We know that. Like, ah, weddings, like we say that all the time. Love is a sacrificial kind. However, there's one phrase that I find that, for me anyway, we tend to miss out, and we keep just reading it past. What is it? Self-seeking. Love is not self-seeking. I think that is the biggest one and biggest relevance for today in this realm. Kindness, we could get by with that. We could do that, right? A few kindness points, we could do that. Patience, well, even Buddhists do that, <laughs> right? Like, you know, patience. But self-seeking, not being self-seeking, do you know how tough that is to put others' interests above our own? You see, our church here, I don't know if you know it, but these ch churches are a representation of the kingdom to come. We're a glimpse. We're giving the world a glimpse of this kingdom that's coming. If, they, if the outside world sees a mess here, sees chaos, these political meandering. That's not the kingdom. Church, we are a representation, a sign of the kingdom to come. Now, I know that this chapter is also read in light of weddings, marriages. Guess what, married couples, for those who are watching this video too? Marriage is a sign, a glimpse of the kingdom. When we go out there as married couples, families, we are giving the world a glimpse of the kingdom. This sacrifice, mutual understanding, this not self-seeking, but go, oh, doesn't it doesn't make you feel good? Why? It doesn't matter about me, it matters about you. Why is it not, why are you uncomfortable in this? The consistent attitude of having the other's interests above our own. Marriage is a sign of the kingdom as well. Friendships, the love between friendships is a sign of that kingdom as well. See, self-seeking, I think that's the most relevant for today. Why else are there divorces happening? Now, I wanna be happy now. You're not satisfying my needs. How come you're not offering the love languages to me? How come you're failing? I'm not patient anymore. I can't wait for you any longer. Those words. 
marriages, in, especially Christian marriages, are a sign of the kingdom to come. Let me read that again. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. See, when I was a child, I wanted everything. I taught like a child. I wanted everything right away. I want my enjoyment. I marry for the sake of my enjoyment. I get my job for the sake of my enjoyment. I have children for the sake of my enjoyment. I, have, I get my career for the sake of my enjoyment. I work for money, I use money for my sake of my enjoyment. The other guy, I could care less. That's what a child is. But that disappears when I become a man. In order to become a man, I need to see myself in the mirror and say, I am in Jesus and I am Jesus' chosen. I am a representation and a sign of his kingdom to come. And therefore I am full. Everything else that is before me are just merely tools to achieve that ultimate end. And everything glorifies God. I was reading the Living Translation. And these three remain then. Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love, the sacrificial kind. The one that puts others' interests before ours is the sign of the kingdom to come. Amen? Let's pray.